In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. May the Lord's grace and blessing dwell on us all, Amen. Today, my beloved, we heard in the gospel Jesus Christ talking about the signs of the end of the world, and he make it he made it very clear what will happen. And how befitting is this that the beautiful church, our beautiful church, has assigned this gospel during this day or these days that we celebrate the end of the Coptic year, the end of the martyrs year. Because today is the fifth day. Uh, it was supposed to be tomorrow, 11th of September, or the first of two, the beginning of the new calendar year. However, you know that every four years we have a leap year. So the last year, Nisi, is six days instead of five days. The Coptic calendar consists of 13 months, not 12, 13 months. 12 of them are 30 days long. So if you multiply 30 by 12, you get 360. There are five days missing. And every fourth year, we have a leap year. February is 28 days. So in addition to the 12 years in the Coptic calendar, there is a 13th month called Nisi, or Mansi, the forgotten one. Comes five days every three, or for three years. And every fourth year, it comes as six days. And this day is the leap year. So today is the fifth of Nisi. Tomorrow is the sixth of Nisi. And then after tomorrow, which is Tuesday the 12th, we'll start the new Coptic year, or the new martyr's year, first of Tut. The church has adopted this, what we call martyr's calendar, or Coptic calendar, in relationship to the severe persecution that they had and the number of martyrs that they witnessed to Jesus Christ. The church had martyrs all its whole life. The church in all her life had martyrs. And we remember Emperor Nero martyred St. Paul and St. Peter on the year 67. So why has the church assigned this Coptic calendar from the year 284, although the church had martyrs all her life. That was the most severe period of persecution that the church ha had under the hands of Diclodianus, Emperor Diclodianus, or Diocletian. Emperor, uh, just to give you a small resume about Diclodianus himself. Diclodianus was a a son of freed slaves. His parents were slaves and they were freed. So he grew up as a freed slave and he had nothing against Christians at that time. He joined the army, the Roman army, and he was very skillful, very good officer. So he was promoted till he had a chance to become an emperor, emperor of the Roman Empire. And when we got that position, he went to 
offer a sacrifice to the idols in an idol temple and ask the idol priests about the future of the emperor, the new empire. At that time, the custom was the priests look at the liver of the sacrifice. They didn't have crystal balls or, or, or a deck of cards as they have nowadays. So they used to look at the liver of the sacrifice until the future from there. The, the idol priest looked at the liver of the sacrifice and couldn't tell him anything. And to save their embarrassment, to save their face, they told him that it is because of the Christians who are contaminating the empire. And since then, he got worried about his empire and issued a decree on the year 303 to burn and knock down all churches, imprison all church leaders, and everybody should worship the idols, and if not, then they will be killed or persecuted or tortured. So although this decree and the start of this severe persecution to Christians started on the year 303, yet our church decided to start the Coptic year from before that, 19 years before that, the year 284, which is the first year of the reign of the Kildianus. So it starts on the, it started on the year 284. The calendar, the Coptic calendar, coincides very nicely with the ancient calendar that our grand, great, great, great grandfathers, the ancient Egyptians, started about 4,050 years ago in particular 4,525 years. So this is a, just a brief history about how the Kildinians start to appear in, the, in history and persecute Christians. And since then, the church has seen severe, severe degree of persecution. I mean, he started to kill individuals we have individual martyrs, family martyrs, even cities of martyrs. The city of Akhmim was completely killed and martyred. And we have a battalion, you probably hear about this, um, the battalion, the Thebes battalion, Katib Tiba, that went to Switzerland to fight with the Roman emperor. And when they uh, beaten them, the emperor asked them to go and worship the idols, and there were St. Maurice, the leader of this battalion, and you probably know the name Verena. Verena was a nurse also, and she went into this uh, battalion, and they were all martyred, and still to this time, when you go to Switzerland, you find churches in the name of St. Maurice and St. Verena. And we have martyrs from all ages, the youngest martyr our church had was a little boy called Kyriakos, and he was three years old. Three years old. And his mother was going to be martyred, and uh, the, the governor asked him to leave his mother, and he kept holding to his mother and saying, I'm Christian, I'm Christian. So he was martyred. The, the governor took him and, and smashed him on the floor and, and killed him and he was three years old. This is our youngest martyr. And we have elderly people who martyred. We have 
Pope Ignatius of Antioch, Antakya, uh, Patriarch Ignatius, he was 80 years old and they did not even save him because of his age. And he was martyred. And this is why you probably notice that when we sometimes mention in our, in our liturgy, uh, all the popes of Antioch are called Pope Agnatius something. So we pray for Mary Agnatius Zakka, Mary Agnatius Yaqub. This is why, because every pope of Antioch took the name of Mary Agnatius and then another name. So Mary Agnatius Zakka, Mary Agnatius Yaqub, and so forth. Okay, but now we have to stop here and think. Why did these people, these martyrs, endure torture and death? What for? All these pains that they endured, it, it defies the logic. It's against the human logic. It's against human nature. Why do you suffer all this and steadfast on your faith? It was only because of one thing. They had their vision focused on one thing, the city of heavenly Jerusalem. They did not think about the current temporary life. They thought exactly and believed, as we believe, that we are here strangers in this world, sojourners on this earth. It's a temporary life, and this will be followed by the glorious life when we stand in front of the divine throne and sing and praise God and say holy, holy, holy with the angels and the archangels. This is what kept them going and this is what kept them steadfast. They traded pain with glory and they traded suffering with happiness later on. And they also remembered, always remembered, what St. John said in his Revelation, chapter 21. He said, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And this is what we are looking for. We are looking for the new heaven and the new earth after this temporary life in here. We have to be steadfast in our belief. We have to be steadfast in our purity, in our relationship to God. We have to, to, to keep repenting, repentance and confession in addition to communion. These are the vehicles that will lead us to heavenly Jerusalem. Read the Bible. The Bible is our, our constitution here on earth. Pope Tordres II, I read something very nice that he said about the Bible. He said, the Bible stands for, it's B-I-B-L-E. So it stands for basic information before leaving earth. This is the basic information that we have to know very well before we leave earth. Also, there was a divine help that God gave these martyrs. Uh, we, we, we remember the Libya martyrs, martyrs of Libya, that they were tortured to severe degree 
and every picture we see about them, they were smiling, looking up and smiling. This is because the divine help that God gave to them. What did we learn from this martyr, from these martyrs? What did we learn? We now understand a new understand a new concept of pain and suffering. Everybody of us, everybody in this world, has got some sort of cross to bear, some sort of tribulations, some sort of hard life and suffering. But now we have a new understanding to this pain or illness. Illness and pain are sharing Christ with his pain. We are fellows. We are fellows to Christ. And I will tell you something else. St. Paul said, For you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Pain now is a gift. St. Paul considers pain is a gift from us, exactly as he gifted us our belief, our Christianity. He gifted us pain. Pain is now a gift that we thank God for it. And one of the church fathers said, very nice sentence, said that when God gives us, when God gives us nice things, we thank them because we are indebted to him. He gave us good things, good life, so we thank him because we are indebted to him. But when he gives pain or illness or a tribulation or a cross and we thank him, he is indebted to us. He owes. It's other way around. So see, see how much blessing do we get from the tribulations and the pain that we suffer and we thank for it. We also learn something very important that we are heavenly creatures. We are not anymore earthly. We are heavenly creatures. God created us on his image and according to his likeness. And what does that mean? That we are heavenly, we are holy, we are pure. And because of what happened with Adam and Eve and we came to the earth, we tarnished our nature. And he was incarnated to us and crucified to give us again our nature. And there is a beautiful sentence we pray in the Gregorian liturgy when we say, you reconciled the earthly with the heavenly and made it into two. You mean the two one. We are heavenly. We are not earthly anymore. We are heavenly. We are from heaven and to heaven we go back. May our Lord grant us to live in his faith and to live in a pure sacred life and grant us a share and inheritance in this beautiful city, the city, the city of heavenly Jerusalem when we see him face to face and have his name on our foreheads. Glory be to God forever. Amen.